Welcome to the Marketing Mantra Podcast, brought to you by 99signals.com, a place to find top-notch content on a wide range of marketing topics, including SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, blogging, and more. Take your blog to the next level and achieve massive traffic growth by learning top blogging strategies discussed in the Marketing Mantra Podcast. And now, here is your host, Sandeep Malia. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Marketing Mantra. This is your host Sandeep Malia from 99signals.com. We have a special guest on our show today, Corey Haynes. Uh, Corey Haynes is a marketer, entrepreneur, podcaster and investor. He's the creator of Swipe Files, Swipe Well, Copywriting Prompts. Uh, I'm seriously in love with all the products that he's created over the years. Uh, uh, He's also the host of the weekly Default Alive podcast uh, where he talks about his journey on bootstrapping his startups. He's consulted with dozens of startups on marketing and growth, including Savvy Cal, Evercast, Riverside.fm and Holloway. Seriously, Corey, I would probably have to spend over 10 minutes of this episode talking about your startups, products, milestones <laughs> and achievements. So I've just provided a, a brief summary for my listeners. Uh, I'm such a huge fan of your work and uh, you've inspired me in many ways. Uh, and it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so we are going to explore uh, SaaS pricing models and uh, strategies on this episode. But uh, before we dive deep into this topic, uh, for those listeners who are not familiar with your work, uh, can you just uh, tell us a bit about your journey as an entrepreneur? Because it's super interesting. Yeah, um, it's still sort of in the messy middle of the journey, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, SaaS marketing has been sort of my career from start to until now. And so I've worked at a couple of different places, uh, usually as like the kind of first marketing hire, which is a really interesting challenge because um, it's one of the harder jobs, to be honest, you know, when your products don't have product market fit quite yet, or they're still very early on, mm-hmm. sort of working with like a shoelace, uh, shoestring budget, don't have like a big team, usually it's kind of like you are the marketing budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the fun part is that there's like a blank campus. And so that's where I found a lot of success is just having sort of free reign, be able to be creative, uh, start from scratch, do a lot of things uh, for the first time, just kind of experiment and have fun. So um, yeah, that, that's really like to sum up everything that I do is around sort of just experimenting, shipping stuff, getting stuff out there uh, and having f- kind of full creative control over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super fascinating. And um, uh, you're involved in a lot of projects, but uh, one of your latest project is uh, Swipe Well, and you have a lot of uh, different projects under the same umbrella, right? So I've been using SwipeWell as my default uh, swipe file online these days. And uh, I want to know the origin story behind this. Uh, what made you come up with this unique idea? Sure. Yeah. Uh, SwipeWell actually has an interesting tie back to swipe files, which I know is a little bit confusing, but swipe files is basically the, the origin was I was doing a weekly teardown newsletter of an email ad or landing page that I thought was notable. And so I basically do like this full kind of written analysis, you know, like a thousand or 2000 words. of just why I thought a campaign or landing page or an ad worked and what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. And um, that came out of me having a desire to learn more through example, rather than just kind of like theory and concepts and frameworks, really to get practical and tactical, uh, like, you know, what goes on a landing page for a SaaS affiliate, uh, recruiting page. It's like, I, I don't know. I've never done it before. I have to go like study what other people have done. Let's go ask them. Let's go look at the page. Let's go kind of deconstruct what they've done in the past and then reverse engineer that to create something for myself. And so I basically just productize that into a newsletter. Hmm. 
eventually I kind of got burned out on that. And then I went back to focusing strictly on SaaS marketing and SaaS marketing principles, but there was always this gap and this need of like, well, I know that I should, I should be keeping a swipe file. And I had tried a million and one different tools between Apple notes and Evernote and notion and, uh, you know, Gmail, Slack, like literally anything and everything I've tried at Pinterest. Uh, and they all fell short in actually being able to use it in my workflow. It was Mm. great for actually like capturing it and saving it, but then I could never find what I saved before Mm. and I can never, you know, really organize or curate in in a way, um, per project so that I could use it for a new landing page or for a new ad, for a new email, whatever it is that I was Mm. doing. So finally, I kind of just got fed up with it and said, you know, I think that there's a product idea here. I'm going to go find someone technical to partner with. Uh, as my co-founder, Connor Lindsay. And then um, that was back in February of this year in 2022. Hmm. And um, within a couple of months, we had a little MVP prototype to work with. And uh, also, the, I've been um, uh, watching closely the reaction that you've been getting in the marketing community. It seems to be a very popular product on Product Hunt as well. And uh, a great thing is you offer a free version where you can have uh, 50 swipe files saved. So that's that's pretty useful, even for a person who's just starting out. So uh, you made some comparisons here, Evernote, uh, Notion and all that. But I think yours is a very unique offering, which is basically focused on, you know, having a swipe file online. And you also have an extension, which makes it super useful and uh, super nifty for anyone who's trying to save something online. Corey, I have a personal question for you because I took a look at all the projects that you're currently involved in. Uh, you're like a productivity wizard. <laughs> How do you manage mm-hmm. your time? And what are some of your favorite uh, productivity hacks? Yeah. Um, I was just talking about this the other day with someone else. And I like to think of a lot of the projects that I work on in terms of months, like what are like the big rocks, the big projects I want to do this month. And then I kind of break that down per week. Like which one am I going to focus on for any Hmm. given week? And then I break it down, uh, per day. And that certain days I, uh, I work on certain types of projects. Uh, usually I batch most of my meetings on Wednesdays or Monday, usually like Monday afternoons or Wednesday mornings, there are exceptions to that rule, like recording this podcast when I just, you know, things fill up and I have to kind of uh, open up more time. But mm-hmm. I would say that like 80% of my week is just kind of open time where I'm working, doing deep work, being creative, mm-hmm. uh, doing things that are, you know, completely productive. It's not like I'm in meetings all day long talking about the work I'm going to be doing. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm working on email. I probably spend about two hours a week on email. And my email is a dumpster fire, but that's okay. Uh-huh. Like that's the compromise yeah, I have to make right. in order to stay productive. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, like 80% of my week is just pure deep work. And mm-hmm. I'm very like strategic about what I work on at any given time, just making sure that I'm working on kind of the most important thing and not just little nitty gritty nitpicks, not just little details, but things that actually kind of move the needle or customer facing and that um, I can I can see the progress in. Hmm. And that's really it. Like there's no real kind of magic to it, to be honest. It's just kind of relentless mm-hmm. focus and cutting out the craft. Right. Uh, the fact that you don't spend a lot of time uh, uh, on email, that itself is uh, a good productivity hack because somehow uh, when you spend a lot of time, uh, you know, checking your email and replying to emails, there is this need uh, in us to uh, reply instantly, right? We can't let something go. And sometimes when you see all these notifications, we have this tendency to reply as soon as we get a message or an email. Um, mm-hmm. And it you, it creates an illusion that you've been productive. But when you spend a lot of time on your email, you're basically not doing any of the important stuff. So the fact that you have kept this uh, at the back and you're not devoting too much time to it, that's 
uh, that's really good and that's i think one of the reasons why you have been able to manage time uh, so well coming to the main topic uh, over the years you've launched and advised several saas companies right and uh, it's your saas marketing expertise that you are widely known for and uh, one of the most common pain areas that uh, saas marketers have is about pricing their product uh, there's a lot of uh, anxiety surrounding saas pricing because there are so many different ways you can price your saas product uh, right but yet many business owners that i have worked with treat it like almost an afterthought and uh, my question to you from a business growth perspective is what makes saas pricing so important and how do you make business owners understand the importance of this process yeah i mean the price that you charge and the way that you charge it is really like the crux of the business and mm. like one of the the major keys to growth right because you can get all the users all the traffic in the world but if you can't monetize it in a good way then you don't have a business or you don't have a good business right hmm. and the interesting part about saas is that it's subscription right and the reason why i love b2b saas in particular is that it's very utilitarian like people get use out of it they use it to get value if they didn't get value out of using it then they wouldn't pay for it and you wouldn't have a business so yeah you know you have something of value when people are using it but you have to make sure that there's some sort of proportion of the value that you're capturing that you're providing mm -hmm. to customers in the in the form of a price right in the form of mm -hmm. money and revenue that you're collecting from those customers mm -hmm. and um a lot of people just don't understand the nuances of saas pricing in particular uh because it's it's a lot different you know it's not like there's one sticker price where i buy this thing and now it's mine mm -hmm. saas is software as a service you subscribe mm -hmm. to it and the pricing can change and be variable. There's add-ons, there's uh, all these nuances around monthly versus annual per user, per feature. Um, mm -hmm. We can go through a lot of different kind of pricing models, right? But mm -hmm. there's lots of different ways that it's, you know, a hundred times more uh, complex than just a single one-time sale sticker price. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, like you said, a lot of people just make it like an afterthought, like it just sort of look at what competitors are mm -hmm. doing, or maybe they just look at their their costs of running mm -hmm. servers or infrastructure or uh, the delivery of the value to those, uh, to their users. And they're just mm -hmm. kind of like slap on a little bit of margin on top of the cost, kind of a cost plus model. But mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that either um, their growth doesn't scale very well because as their users get more value, mm -hmm. they're not capturing more value. And so growth plateaus and revenue plateaus or um, the pricing is actually like a hindrance to people getting value out of the product. And so now you have like this negative incentive where mm -hmm. you want people to use your product more, but in order for them to do that, the the pricing isn't aligned with the way that they use it. And so they're discouraged mm -hmm. from using it or mm -hmm. they're encouraged to cancel or to find uh, an alternative, a competitor. And so right. there's a lot of things you can do wrong in SaaS pricing mm -hmm. um, per you know situation. There's only a few things really need to do right, but there's all sorts of mistakes you can make. Right. So I'm thinking of it uh, from um, uh, a new new um, a SaaS uh, owner perspective, right? I mean, if, you have, if I've just launched a SaaS product and you spoke about these different nuances and uh, we are going to explore the different pricing models that you have in SaaS, it's so easy for uh, a, a new user or someone who's just starting out to get overwhelmed with the different structures that are involved, right? So what do you think a new SaaS product owner should do? Should they spend a lot of time uh, on pricing? Is that a very important aspect of marketing? Or should they focus more on, you know, building product and providing value to their users? 
Yeah. I mean, ironically, uh, I don't think people should spend a lot of time on pricing in the early days. Hmm. What, what ends up happening is that in the early days, uh, you don't know a lot about your customers. Your product hmm. isn't feature complete. Hmm. Um, you're not really sure how people get value out of your product likely. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and even just getting users in the first place is a big deal. You know, you're trying to really scrape and claw for every single user that you get onto your product. And mm -hmm. so people will spend all this time kind of over-engineering a pricing model that they're, mm -hmm. they think is perfect and that they're going to roll with for the next few years mm -hmm. when that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. One, you don't have to spend the time doing that too. Again, it can be mm -hmm. counterproductive to growth. Mm -hmm. So what I always tell people, and this is what a lot of companies, a lot of really successful companies like Intercom have done, is you just pick a price, one single monthly price or annual price hmm. that's low enough where people, uh, or like 75% of your users wouldn't have a problem paying for it, but it's hmm. still high enough to where they have to think about it and they have to hmm. you know, match it against the value that they expect to get out of the product. So for mm -hmm. example, with Intercom, you know, they're going through all these different pricing models and strategies and uh, modeling it out in spreadsheets. And right. um, and they asked uh, Jason Free, the co-founder of Basecamp, and he was like, mm -hmm. eh, just charge 50 bucks to see what happens. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. 50 yeah. bucks was low enough yeah. to where people were like, yeah, sure, we'll give it a try. But mm -hmm. high enough to where they thought, yeah, but let's see how this does. Let's see how much mm -hmm. better this is to our current, uh, to the, our current alternative. Um, mm -hmm. And so you just want to, you just want to pick something in the early days. Uh, you don't really want to base it on competitors, but you want to pick something that is competitive, if that makes sense. Right. Hmm. Uh, if you're the new, the new kid on the block and yeah. all your competitors are charging a hundred dollars a month and hmm. you come in and you have half the features, you're buggy, you're ugly. Why would you go in and start charging $200 hmm. a month? Right. It just, it's not going to compute. It's not going to make sense. You're not right. going to get people in there. Right. But it would make yeah. sense to charge something like $80 a month mm. more than it would to charge $10 a month because mm -hmm. $10 a month, anyone can pay 10 bucks, but mm -hmm. $80 is less than a hundred dollars. It's still 80 bucks though. It's still eight times more right. that we were maybe right. initially tempted to, to charge. Right. Got it. Um, and uh, coming to the pricing models now, uh, what are the most common SaaS pricing models and how do you decide which size SaaS pricing model is the right one for your business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll kind of roll through a couple of them, but of course we have like the flat rate, right? It's just one price yeah. for everyone. Uh, Basecamp did this for a long time. They actually just mm -hmm. switched uh, and they switched to user-based pricing, which is another really common mm -hmm. one, um, really common for like, you know, CRMs and uh, stuff like that. Then you have yeah. usage based, mm -hmm. which can be like, you know, API calls or mm. essentially pay as you go, where you sort of stick one sort of metric of usage, and then you just charge a variable price based on that. Right. Um, there's sort of feature based or tier based pricing where you bundle mm. in different parts of your product or usage mm. of features of your product mm. into multiple price points. So you might have like mm. the, you know, $9 a month basic plan, the $49 a month premium plan, and then the enterprise plan, or maybe even a free plan as well, right? So you mm. kind of like package up your product into multiple different tiers or, or features. Um, and, and then you have a hybrid of, you know, any and all of those, right? You might have, um, you know, a pay-as-you-go early on, and then you switch to a more um, like usage-based. You might have uh, a user-based pricing plus different tiers for features. So you have... Mm -hmm. You know, nine dollars a month for 
per user for X, Y, and Z features, and then $12 mm-hmm. a month per user for ABC features. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the main ones. And the key here is one, you want to work with a lot of data. So you want to understand how customers are actually getting value out of your product before you just go and kind of like close your eyes and point your finger at one and, and pick that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. It has to make mm-hmm. sense, right? So mm-hmm. one of the keys is, is the product experience different per user um, that that signs up for the product under a team account? If so, then mm-hmm. user-based pricing is usually a, a really good uh, starting place. So okay. for example, CRMs, um, scheduling apps, right? Like those, they have to be per user because they're going to be per user settings, mm-hmm. per user contacts, mm-hmm. per user views within the product. But then if you mm-hmm. get to something like Stripe, for example, it's not going to make sense for Stripe to charge per user because that has nothing to do with the way that people get value out of the product, yeah, right? Yeah, people get value right. out of using Stripe by having right. people sign up for their product and start charging money, right? And mm-hmm. subscriptions, but they're not, they're not going to charge per subscription either. They're going to charge per... Uh, per charge, and then they're going to take a flat rate out of the revenue. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Features really make sense when you have um, a really sophisticated product that can appeal to multiple different types of customers with different needs, right? Hmm. Um, so if you have a customer who's really early on, like a you know a baby startup who someone like Swipeable or we're just getting started, hmm. we might not need the super advanced automations and uh, you know, compliance and, and security standards of a, you know, a really big ESP, maybe like a, like a customer.io, for example. Mm, mm, mm. But um, we, we might just need something really simple, something more friendly and has simpler mm. features like a userlist.com. Mm. Um, and, you know, they might charge half the price, right? But you can see how you can kind of expand like, okay, if I, if I need X features for mm-hmm. this stage, because this is what makes sense for me and my price point, I'm going to get mm-hmm. this versus that versus this other one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the key and the, the kind of pattern through all this is finding your value metrics. How mm-hmm. do people get value out of your product? And then you can anchor your price based on the value metrics, which again, might be things like number of users, API calls, contacts in your CRM mm-hmm. or in your email list. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to figure out one primary value metric mm-hmm. and then one or two secondary uh value metrics as well. Mm. And then it becomes a question of, you know, add-ons versus kind of these bundles where you can have mm. a la carte versus these really kind of strict plans that you put people on. Yeah. yeah. That's a little bit more scientific and we could mm-hmm. get into that if you really wanted to, but that takes a lot of data and analysis yeah, and, and modeling right. actually. But a lot of it's just figuring out what is your, what's your value metric mm. and then which combination of value metrics best lines up with the pricing models that are kind of set before us as the standards. Right. The different SaaS tools that I've used in SEO, um, landing page builders, project management apps, they go through a lot of evolution when it comes to pricing as well. And it's, uh, I think it's mm-hmm. because of uh, the data analysis they do, uh, right? And uh, uh, you spoke about the value matrix. And I think when, when they uh, dig deep into this, they probably arrive at a data which makes them change their pricing structure. I wanted to talk about a recent pricing change that happened. And uh, uh, oh. SEO is something that I do uh, on a regular basis. And uh, most of my episodes, uh, podcast episodes are anchored around SEO, right? And a very popular uh, SEO tool called Ahrefs. 
recently yeah. uh, changed their pricing model uh, to usage based uh, pricing and this received a lot of backlash right uh, if you look at the hrefs insider group on facebook and also a lot of bloggers uh, you know who write about hrefs they were not happy with the with the pricing change first of all i would like to understand why a company like hrefs would do that because uh, when it comes to seo tools again i don't think usage based pricing is a very popular model there but for some reason hrefs decided to shift uh, the whole pricing structure to usage based uh, model and it's not been very popular with the users i don't know if they're going to switch it back anytime soon but this is something that happened and uh, how how does a company justify this change mm. but real quick can you explain some of the i'm a user of hrefs but i don't have like the billing i didn't even notice the pricing change so oh, what what okay. was the difference so it was uh, it all came down to the number of reports that a user consumes right and there is something mm. called uh, a power user right you will have uh, you can have additional users to your account but a power user can have a certain number of reports and uh, how they define reports is is pretty vague right and any time someone uh, does a keyword search on hrefs that's considered a report every time you mm. click on a particular metric on a dashboard that's considered a report and let's say you have a limit of 10000 reports a month each and every action that you take on hrefs is considered as a report if you are a very serious if you are a hardcore seo user you are probably going to uh, use up your credits in no, no time right and you are paying 99 dollars a month for a tool like hrefs if you can just access 10000 reports a month that's that's quite less and uh, uh, no other seo tool that i know of has uh, this kind of limitation or don't follow usage based pricing like hrefs does so i just wanted mm -hmm. to know what would be the the thinking process behind this right right yeah the thinking process was probably seeing that a lot of users um were disproportionately running reports and doing research within hrefs hmm. compared to the price that they were paying you know maybe they were paying 100 bucks a month but hmm. they were using it as if they were a user paying you know a thousand dollars a month um, because they were oh. just, you know, doing research reports all day long. Mm. Right. So they're mm. probably trying to find a way to sort of not just offset the cost, but really just extract more value out of people that seem to be getting more value out of the product. Mm. Um, now some of the potential drawbacks, I don't know if this is the case. I'm just sort of pontificating here. So I love Ahrefs by the way, and a huge mm. fan of them and, and their tools. Mm. So I'm mm. going to give them like the, as much credit as possible, but mm. some of the, some of the potential drawbacks can be that. A lot of people can view, confuse passive usage-based price with um, active usage-based pricing. Mm. So for example, with a tool like Stripe or um, ConvertKit, for example, mm. Stripe has kind of usage-based pricing in the sense that every time you one of your end users uses uh, Stripe mm. and they process a payment, then they take a cut of that and then a flat fee of 30 cents, right? It's 2.9% plus 30 cents. Um, mm -hmm. now that was successful for you and you don't really care. You don't want to pay every single time that someone, uh, you know, you want to have to literally manually, you know, pay a or a stripe every single time a payment mm. goes through, right? right you just right. want to get, you just want them to automatically take it out or to send you a bill at the end of the month, right. With a summary mm -hmm. of all the charges, because mm. you already have that in your mind of, well, mm -hmm. I want more payments and this is going to be a flat sort of fee proportionate to the value that I'm getting. Same thing with ConvertKit, right? Mm -hmm. I don't really want to pay for every single subscriber that I get to my newsletter, 
but I know that for every, you know, 500 additional subscribers, my price is going to go up a little bit, but that's fine because I want more subscribers. I expect that. Hmm. That's like passive usage, right? Where it's sort of things happening that are automatically kind of happening in the background. That's very proportionate to the value that you're getting out of the tool. Hmm. Active usage, which is more like this case in Ahrefs in some sense. Um, but this is a lot of like credit-based pricing, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, where mm. people have to actively think, well, in order for me to get this, I know that I'm going to have to pay for this at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. they have to choose to do that every single time they're using the product. So now there's kind of like this mental record adding up of all the different reports they're running, the key research they're doing, knowing that they're basically going to finish for using the tool at the end of the day when it's there isn't a, um, as clear of a direct relationship between the value that they're getting out of those, of the, of those reports and mm the way that they're using the product, that makes sense, right? Right, right. So that was probably the thinking, but again, that's some of the potential drawbacks. Um, now I still see on their pricing page, they have tiers with features. So they have light, mm-hmm. standard, advanced enterprise. It seems like there's a lot of um, add-ons and limits to the usage you can do with yeah. projects and data or rank tracker, right. site audit. Uh, keywords explorer things like that and yeah they were even pay uh, for additional so ones. limits were added sometime this year i think mid this year is when they decided to change the pricing and yeah. uh, until now i don't think they had any limits um, on the usage but what you said makes sense uh, they must have uh, panelized their reports and the usage reports basically and seen a trend uh, for them to justify a move like this now the way your pricing model is marketed is called your pricing strategy right uh, for a saas company and what are the different pricing strategies that uh, a saas owner needs to keep in mind yeah i mean we're talking about pricing strategy uh it, it's it, there's definitely some overlap between like the pricing models itself but, but i think what we're talking about is a little bit more tactical what do you put on your pricing page um yeah. and how do you market it and make it seem mm. attractive uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of case studies and things you can see around, like the way that you present it on a pricing page and using social proof and just the way that you kind of package it up and display all the different ways mm-hmm. of, um, communicating your pricing to, you know, users and potential customers mm-hmm. of yours. But honestly, I think that one of the big parts of pricing strategy is just figuring out how to test new pricing and how to test pricing experiments and even mm-hmm. migrate people off of legacy pricing models. Um, Hmm. one of the big keys and piece of advice for me is, uh, is people like to test pricing on existing customers. Hmm. That's not a great idea. (laughs) What you want to do is you want to test new pricing on new customers only Hmm. for probably about three to six months at first. Hmm. Hmm. And because this is really like an unbiased view, people don't have like the old price in mind unless they've seen it before, but that's really going to be the only unbiased gauge of uh, of how well that new pricing model is going to do because your your current customers are already anchored to the price they know and that they've they've been used to for the past however long they've been with you right and then once you see that you have like a so you can go through multiple pricing experiments on new customers and then once you find the one that seems to be optimal and maybe that it's retaining better there's better average earning per user there's better expansion revenue there's better activation rates right you're trying to look at all the different points in the funnel that seems like users are successful, mm. then you can choose to migrate everyone to that new pricing. Now, again, one of the big mistakes that people make is that they just kind of like flip a switch and they say, Hey, here's a new pricing tomorrow. You're going to get billed doubly as much or half as much. 
Mm. What you want to do is communicate ahead of time. Hey, here's why we're making this change. Here's how it affects you. This isn't mm-hmm. going to go into play for another three to six months. You want to have about mm-hmm. a three to six month um, uh, time ahead of when you actually make that change. And to sweeten the deal, we're going to let you keep uh, sort yeah. of your old pricing by switching yeah. early and we'll give you a discount, for example. So if you mm-hmm. upgrade to the new pricing model within this three to six months period earlier, we'll give you you know 25% off the first year or 20% off for the next couple of months or... Um, you know, half off the next month, mm-hmm. uh, just depending on what works best, right? For for your existing pricing model, um, and then you want to communicate that really clearly, and then actually do it when it happens. Because what can happen too is that people mm-hmm. kind of get stuck on all these old plans, and you have people from pricing model A over here, pricing model B over here, pricing experiment C over there, and then it makes it really hard to generate reports and actually see how things are doing. So I'm a big fan of never grandfathering or never having any legacy pricing. You mm. never want to tell, you know, it's like, um, never say always, right? It's like, you never mm. want to guarantee and promise a customer that they can keep their price forever because everything's subject to change, right? As the product evolves, yeah. Yeah. as you learn more about your customers, as mm. um, the way that your product works and the way that you consume data and the way your costs work is going to always change. And so you never want to guarantee like, oh yeah, you can keep that price forever. I'm always a fan of giving people a lot of time in advance and heads up, really, really clear communication strategy around mm. this is what's better and this is why we're making this 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 move, yeah. but always moving people to the new pricing, the latest pricing updates, and then rolling right. that out, you know, seamlessly without double charging or again, you can loop in things like discounts to make mm-hmm. it easier and incentives for people to do it early so they have less work. Mm. But um, to me, that's really where like pricing strategy comes in. Okay. Uh, as a customer, I've always thought that legacy pricing would be great because I would still like to pay uh, uh, $40 to SEMrush like I was initially doing. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, from a business perspective, uh, one has to understand that uh, it's all about growth, right? And uh, things yeah. evolve and uh, your pricing also needs to evolve. Uh, one last question I had for you, uh, Corey. I know you love reading books and uh, this is a question that I ask all the guests who come on my podcast. Uh, which are some of the books that have really helped you in your journey as an entrepreneur? And which are the books you would recommend to fellow entrepreneurs out there? Definitely. Yeah. To that, I always recommend the people, The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick and mm-hmm. Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. Cool. Uh, you also have a, a expanded reading list on your website. I'll post a link to it. Uh, you also have a very detailed blog post on deconstructing SaaS pricing. So I think that will also be very useful uh, for my listeners. And I'll post a link to that as well. And uh, also, since you are into mental models uh, and you also have a course called Mental Models for Marketing, there was a very interesting book that I read recently called Super Thinking by uh, Gabriel mm-hmm. Weinberg the DuckDuckGo CEO. Uh, I think you will find that very interesting if you have not read it. It's I think it's one of I've the latest it, yeah. books. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. So it really makes you think about how you can use mental models to improve your decision-making skills. Corey, if um, uh, if you would like my listeners to learn more about you, you can, uh, you can probably talk about your website and your product here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Haynes Co. Pretty active there. Um, CoreyHaines.co is my personal site and links to everything I work on, but swipewell.app is the place to find a swipe file that you'll actually use. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of the show. And, um, 
it was lovely having you here and i really enjoyed our conversation and i'm sure our listeners also uh, got a lot of insights from this and thank you so much for being a part of marketing mantra i appreciate it thanks for having me Marketing Mantra with Sandeep Malia is a podcast by 99signals, a place to find top-notch content on a wide range of online marketing topics. To get started, visit 99signals.com best to check out all the top-rated articles on the blog or simply view the description of each episode to download free online marketing resources to level up your marketing skills. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question or topic suggestion for Sandeep? Simply send a voice message via Anchor app or send an email to podcasts at 99signals.com. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Marketing Mantra on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any major podcast player.